And we're back, hour two of Pints and Politics. Joining me in the studio uh, this afternoon is uh, Justin Million, Alicia Rabasha, and five colleagues. We have seven poets in the room gearing up to read. And so what, we're, what you're going to hear is a, a on-air reading, poetry reading. Each poet is going to do a set. There'll be some conversation in between. And we're going to start off with Hannah. Could you introduce yourself a bit and then tell us what you're going to read? Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Hannah Collins. I am a poet and writer here in Peterborough. Um, not for very long. I feel like I've really only been doing this or participating in this community for about a year or so. Um, so yeah, um, but I have been writing for longer than that, but not really taking myself seriously as a writer until, until maybe a year, a year or two or so. Um, so yeah, I, uh, have been participating in Right on the Street and working with Jeanette and Justin doing, uh, I've done like the show and tell poetry series. Um, I've been in all of Jeanette's creative writing classes at Trent. <laughs> so I'm pretty much just like hoping to take being a poet here and connecting this community to the next level and, um, working closely with all the people in this room still. Um, writing wise, uh, I mostly do, I mostly write poetry. I don't write prose. Um, and I focus on, uh, writing about body horror, which sounds bad. I would love to be a political poet, but I'm not, uh, I mostly write about blood, um, which is what all the poems I'm going to read about are. Um, it's not really about horror as much as it's about just weird connection. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of where it it comes from. And I'm, I'm more of a a written poet than a verbal one. Um, so I'm going to write if my phone will turn on because it just turned off somehow. Um, (laughs) wow. Of course. Okay. There we go. Um, (laughs) of course that's going to happen on air. Where else would it be? Um, so this is a, this is a suite of poems about, about blood pretty much <laughs> um uh and and interesting personal connection um the suite is called fluid and the first one is called body farm do you want me to read them now yeah let's do it uh so this is body farm there are three ways the body farm can access the body through donation through devotion through incantation the neighbors complain claiming the smell sinks into their clean dishes they can see their loved ones rotting from the backyard fence ruining their barbecues and then the second one there's three in this uh it's called blood splatter across the floor it's carpet or it's hardwood either way it's blood and it's on the floor tacky between your fingertips maybe there's a little shards of skull or bits of brain mixed in maybe it darts across the carpet or the hardwood from where your feet stand to the door a trail a trail of blood you can see it clearly under the refuge or refuge at the corners of the concrete walls or plaster. Probably that one. Probably cheap. Push pinholes and wads of blue sticky tack embedded in the drywall. If you look closely, you can see the paint spill over the trim. Sloppy. But you're not looking at the wall. You're looking at the floor, at the mess, at the blood in a splatter, in a trail, reaching for the stair. And the last one is called Love Letters. The corpse says, I love you, but it sounds like kill every last one of these sons of bitches. (laughs) His hands don't work like they used to. They crack now. When the knuckles scrape across the pink warmth of your skin, they blister on contact. They'll break with that swing of his aimed right at your jaw. 
Dust spores where the blood vessels pop. You'll crack, too, hitting the banister, peering over the staircase, a bruise to match the blood at the foot of the stairs, soaking into the floor, mouthing I love you into the darkness of the hallway. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Um, I have a question. How do you go about picking what poems to read for what <laughs> crowd? Um... I think it mostly depends on the tone. Um, it's tricky because all of my poems are gory. Um, I mean, not all of them, but most of them. Um, so that's, I, I mean, yeah. I rarely ever am good at doing like poems for children. <laughs> uh, I mean, children love that stuff too, so it's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, grade six. Well, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but those are, those are recent poems yeah. um, and ones I'm workshopping for an assignment. That I have to do at 9 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've already been working with them and, and writing more to add to that suite. So I, I thought I would I thought I would share them right. here as well, just because they're at the front of my brain right now. Great, thank you. Sure. Next up, we have. Uh, my name is Mayana Hansen. Um, I am a poet and a writer. I'm originally from a small town called Pool, but I came to Peterborough um, to pursue English literature because I thought I wanted to write really long academic essays. And then I ended up getting into um, creative writing classes with Jeanette Platana. And um, over the last couple of months, I've been given a lot of really exciting opportunities to do things with poetry that I didn't think I would ever get to do like this. Um, so I'm not going to take too much time. I'm just going to read two poems. Um, they're part of a bigger suite of poetry, but I like to pair them together because I think they do nicely as like a night before and then the morning after. Um, the first one's called Little Black Censored Box. She only has sex in the dark. It's not that strange, really. Her lover hasn't caught on to the rule, doesn't try to coax her out of the blanket that she's beneath. Touch is a way of making sure that the lines of her stretch marks remain uncrossed, and so she guides her lover's hand away from the lamp and slips it under the covers. Her rule is this. When she's turned on, the lights are turned off. It's her way to cover up every inch of a body considered obscene, a prohibition of the parts that are deemed unacceptable. She's never seen her naked. And then the next poem is very short. It's called An Unexpected Guest. I invited love into my home, offered her a warm drink in a heart that has been shocked awake. She was welcome for a while, small talk in the short morning hours before I was fully awake, but my, my, my eyes are open now, and what I want most is to go back to sleep. Next time love knocks, I'll invite her in and put the kettle on. I'll invite her in and kick her out before bedtime. And that's all. Thanks for having me. Oh, great. Now, I'm curious, before you read... Uh, and it's, it's a, this is a general question, not, not, not only to you specifically, but uh, there are those poets who feel they have to explain and set up and set the stage. And, so, uh, and then there are others, uh, I think it was one of the luminaries like E.E. E. Cummings or Pound or someone said, some, someone in an audience said, uh, sir, what does that, what are you trying to get at? What are you trying to say? And of course, Pound or Cummings just read the poem again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Logical, but do you try? Do, do all of us try to, or do any of us try to, sort of give some footnotes or explanations? This is about something, or do you just go to, cold turkey? Jeanette. 
Um, because I've been because I've been writing poetry for I've been writing poetry for a few decades, and um, when I first started writing poetry, um, it was cons- I, I got called out for being too academic in my writing. Yep, um, which is weird because I write about bodies and blood as much as Hannah does, um, <laughs> but I do write about mythology and uh, and uh, the Bible and things that require. Um, or that is, it's more fun if you, if you have the, the educated background, sorry, or the educated imagination. At the same time, um, if I'm going to introduce a, a word in a poem like euhemeristic or teratogen, I try to explain those in the poem. Thank you. So that nobody feels stupid, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, because yeah. that's insulting. Um, so, you know, I, I do get caught in that. And, um, yeah. I, the next thing I publish, if it's my fairy poems, will require it. There'll be a glossary. There'll be actually yeah. a fairy called Glossa, the fairy of copious footnotes, and she will provide all of those. <laughs> so when you do a reading, you would say, by the way, uh, uh, Sophocles is a blah, blah, blah. Yeah, or I'll just read Glossa, the fairy of copious footnotes first. And hand that out or something. I'm not interested right. in alienating people. And, sure. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. But when I'm doing a reading, I'll explain it a little bit beforehand. But if I'm workshopping something with my peers in a creative writing course, I like to just give it to them and not explain it because usually they'll assume things that are way more insightful than what I had actually <laughs> written. And then I'm just like, yes, that is what I was going for. And then add it into the revised version. So <laughs> Love it. <laughs> okay. Next poll. Hello. Um, My name is Nick Taylor. Um, I am a poet, writer, journalist, although some people wouldn't like me calling myself that. Uh, In Peterborough, I go to Trent. Um, I study international development and philosophy, but uh, sometimes I wish I was studying English or cultural studies. Um, But yeah, I write a lot of different kinds of poetry. I used to do a lot more spoken word, um, but lately I've been finding enjoyment in page poetry more so, um, and I didn't really realize that they were different things until I started writing page poetry. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm going to read some page poems, I suppose. Um Some of them are political, some of them are not, because I'm trying to not be such a curmudgeon all the time. Okay. Um, But yeah, this one is called Make Trouble. Goliath likes to gaslight. David passes notes in class. The writing is on the wall, but I'm not alone in this room. Curiosity killed the cat, and epistemic violence is still violence. We dig our fingernails into plastic chairs. David doesn't raise his hand anymore because Goliath doesn't give a damn. Nihilism makes way for Melitus. Gadflies kick up dust. We do not sit pretty. When the sun rises, we make trouble for breakfast. We practice impiety on the bus. We never go alone. We never go quietly. Hmm. And then I have one that kind of goes along with it because they're both at, they're both loosely about being queer in academia. Um, but yeah, this one's called Harm and Foul. Excuse me, it's called Harm and Foul. Harm and Foul, thank you. Nobody wins when one of us loses. No room for profit, keep it secret. Neoliberal zero sum game, there are no rules. You are free now, fool. 
the competitive devaluation of the currency of empathy, comparative disadvantage, specialized in manufacturing apathy, the economy of credibility, queer kids don't have any, oppression happens anywhere but here, a third world export, Fowls flow in dirty rivers. The drought ends with western tears. Bury them next to all the names I'll never know. Nothing is sacred in this garden. Everything must grow. Great. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, now, could you uh, say some more about page poems versus spoken word? Um, like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um... I don't know. I I think that like, to, yeah. To be fair, like probably a month ago, I thought it was an arbitrary distinction, but <laughs> now, now I know differently. There is dissent in the no, studio. Yes. I've learned things. Um, I think that in page poetry, it feels like the words have to do more in a sense because you don't get to like. Because you're writing it for the the purpose of someone reading it as opposed to someone listening to you say it. Mm. And so you don't get to have your tone necessarily. You don't get to have... I mean, you build tone in your writing, of course. But um, I feel like there's a lot more room for interpretation with page poetry. But maybe not. I don't know. Interpretation by whom? <laughs> the reader. The reader. Like, I think that in page poetry, there's more room to read something more than one way. Whereas in spoken word, there's not necessarily as much room. I don't know. I'm trying to, like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's... <laughs> see what everyone's looks are saying. <laughs> yeah. I think performative poetry, or what's being called stage poetry or slam poetry here, because it's ephemeral, like you're not handing it out on a page, it's just going to happen in the performance. And you can make decisions about your performance, your voice, your body, and all those things that let you at least think you're controlling the, how the audience is receiving it. And I th and that's something that you give up in page poetry. You're not there to say, see my sad face, it's a sad poem. I had a terrible experience once reading a short story called Dear Dave Bedini, and Dave Bedini read it and thought that it was this beautiful, sad thing, and I thought it was satire. <laughs> <laughs> and he was pretty grouchy when I read it. <laughs> the first line is, Dear Dave Bedini, even though I hate hockey, can we still be friends? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, well, thank you. Justin. Hello, Bill. Hello, Justin. Uh, my name is Justin Million. Uh, I'm the founder of Show and Tell Poetry Series in Peterborough, poetry editor at Birdbird Press, and um, one of the folks who you can find at right on the street at 388 George, um, which is something that Jeanette Platana approached me about a few weeks before we opened. Uh, um, and it's a, at the base of what we're doing there, if you haven't been. Uh, it's a creative writing space. Uh, we don't have Wi-Fi. We don't sell anything. Uh, we don't have coffee. Uh, right. The space is for writers to write. Um, handwriting, typewriting, tablet writing, uh, I don't know, whatever you want to do. Right. But we would encourage any and all writers in the community uh, to come and check out the space. Um, the kind of main thing we're doing right now, which most of you have probably seen if you're downtowners, is we've uh, plugged writers into the window, uh, storefront window spaces, uh, which if you haven't ever done that as a writer, it's something you should really experience. Um, it's 
pretty amazing. Uh, I believe Sean Foy, just before we left today, said that uh, he feels more like a writer when he's writing in the window, which is exactly the point. Um, and this is something that Jeanette did back in 2015. Um, it was for a more limited time, but it was extremely successful, which is why um, it's it, we had the opportunity to bring it back. So yeah, please come out to right on the street. And actually, this is why we have so many poets in the room today, um, because I had I got an email from Bill, um, and then as I read the email, uh, everyone in this room was there. So I just said, <laughs> except for Alicia, and I said, well, does everybody want to be on the radio <laughs> on Sunday the fourteenth? And they all said yes. And so within five minutes, um, you know, we had the group that we wanted and needed. And that's just again, that's kind of one of the more advantageous bits about the space collaboration can happen very easily there's a lot of ways to plug in the space even if you just want to drop in write a poem or if you want to engage in something more long term like community um kind of long-standing projects that'll be going on and just being able to write on the actual walls is really cool yeah that's, i guess all i'll say about that i'm going to read some poems that um we all know about the black hole picture of course and a lot of my writing for the last probably five years or so has been about I don't know, black hole-esque things like drinking or uh, space and science and science that I don't pretend to understand specifically, like black holes. So I cracked out the typewriter to do some writing for the first time in the space, which is lovely, and wrote some black hole poems that day. So I'm going to share that set with you today, which you'll be able to see if you come to 3D George. It's pinned on the walls, or it was until I brought them into the space today to read. Nice. Uh, so this first poem is called Scope. Despite junk, we can see through 53.5 million light years to something 6.5 billion times the size of our soul. Eight observatories in concert with hundreds of astronomers, engineers, and scientists packing petabyte disks to make the whole pieces whole. And this is something, I, that's the end of the poem, by the way. This is something that I was going to bring up when we were talking about page and spoken word. Um, I find a lot of my stuff doesn't necessarily translate or my favorite bits of my poems don't translate when i'm reading them because soul for instance isn't the s-o-u-l soul it's s-o-l in reference to the sun um and the last two lines don't really make sense unless you can read them on the page because to make the whole piece is whole well the second whole is w-h so that's i wouldn't say that's a disadvantage of page poetry it's just again uh, like nick was referring to it leaves it a bit more open, but you have to see it on the page for that to come across. Now that I said that, uh, this poem is called O, like the letter. And, uh, oh, that's, I'll also say that it was kind of like a weird collaboration, uh, I like to think so, between me and William Carlos Williams, uh, Spring and All, which is the best book of poetry ever written. And uh, he has, a, I'll say that with authority. He has, um, there's a quote from Spring and All, uh, that goes like this, and it's the epigraph for the poem. Oh, meager times, so fat in everything imaginable. And this is called Oh. Oh, nothing. I have so much to tell you, my throat disappears. Words corona sometimes suck when attempting the sum of everything imaginable. Such meager times we are turned on by a picture of nothing. Maybe best to try to say everything now, before absence goes any more viral. And this is a poem called Pressure, uh, and there's a long epigraph, but I insist on reading all of it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes the pressures get so... Oh, this is a quote from Becky Smethurst, who's an astronomer at Oxford University. 
and has written some amazing things about black holes. Sometimes the pressures get so great around the black hole that it can throw out material in a wind before it gets to the event horizon. And the energy that it expels affects the galaxy as a whole. In other words, what happens at the event horizon can influence what atoms get distributed throughout an entire galaxy. That includes the type of atoms responsible for life as we know it on Earth, meaning black holes may even have a role in our own existence. This poem is called Pressure. Black holes increase with every celestial suck and blow. Their mass, depending on the joints that are planets, stuck like jewels in nothing. So much for nothing. (laughs) That's great. Uh, And the final poem is Shell Game, and again has a William Carlos Williams epigraph, because why shouldn't all poems have a William Carlos Williams epigraph? And the quote is, It is unclean which is not straight to the mark. Isn't that amazing? Shell Game. If Mars is the pearl, maybe the table's snookered. We have to create much bigger should we expect to escape the hole. How many stone to run the table? When I saw the black hole pick this morning, I thought of Sagan asking Control to turn Voyager 1 around to see us pale, blue, maybe now dead. Mm. And that's it. Whoa, thank you. Thank you. Um, It occurred to me as you were reading, Justin, that um, I, I too have no idea the difference between a page poem versus spoken word, but it seems spoken word gives an unfair advantage to raging extroverts who have acting (laughs) skills, who have very expressive voices and faces, all of which, of course, I lack. (laughs) So, Bill, stop. I'm I'm wondering, um, is that also a piece of the difference and why some of us oscillate towards page poems, some of us oscillate towards... Uh, the performance pieces. I think, if I may, Bill, I'll reframe the question in terms of... Oh, I'll start with a little story that it won't take very long, I promise. Okay. Rob Winger, who's a who's a prof at Trent University, um, is one of the better readers I've ever seen read. And I had the pleasure of uh, taking one of his classes at Carleton. I swear he followed me to Peterborough. Because <laughs> uh, he's here now, and so am I. Um, but... I had, I'd of course given a lot of thought to how page poems should be read. Uh, ben Lattisur, also a friend of mine, who's a great poet, he's uh, a really great reader. Um, but I don't, I just don't think a lot of page poets really give enough credence to how their poems should be performed, and because they just think because it's on the page, it should just be read. And you, right. you can see the difference if you see somebody like Rob Winger reading with such kind of his own personal intensity. Like, he didn't learn it anywhere. He just figured out, like, what is more... how What's the most interesting way for me to read my work? Like, he didn't... I looked at Rob reading, and it, I didn't think, wow, I, I'm going to copy him and do that. I thought, how, am I, how can I make my poem stronger? And because my lines are so short, um, and that's copying William Carlos Williams, for sure, um, and other people, but um, every... Every end of a line has to be enunciated in a different way. I don't want you to necessarily know where the line has ended, or sometimes I really do because it, there's a you know not a pun. Janet and I always talk about how puns are, puns are bad, of course, but it, <laughs> uh, in the best possible way. Um, but sometimes it's not quite like a pun, but like a weird turn of phrase that's that's pun like that needs emphasis. And I think these are just beats 
in your own work that you come to by being aware of those beats, how they work, um, how they don't work. Jeanette always says, when you're on stage, make sure you have a pen. And it's a great idea. Um, a lot of poets also, I know, like I do, I wing it on the spot sometimes. You edit as you go. You edit as you read. And it seems impossible. Like other people have told me, well, that's how do you do that as you go? It's not some, I'm not an expert. You're right. Uh, well, maybe a little bit. But, <laughs> but, you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I don't know, I'm not some, uh, like, I don't know, what's the word? Anybody can do that. It's just, again, the attention that you're willing to pay to it and how much work you're actually willing to put into your own work. Right. I don't know if anybody else has, wants to weigh in on that. So I, somebody said to me once, they said, you know, you don't have to write everything to be read aloud. And I looked at her and I went, yes, I do. Like, <laughs> I was like, what? Of course. Um, but I think that, I think that in, uh, spoken word and in performance poetry, there is a lot of this hindrance that I, I think, um, those poets don't, don't realize they have. I did spoken word, uh, for years and, and I stopped. And then I didn't write anything until I was like in my mid twenties. Um, because I, I found the style just actually really hindering instead of, oh, instead of expressive. Okay. Um, because there's like an expectation of beats and of length and of what, uh, how you're supposed to perform and how you're supposed to express things that it just ended up being more constricting. Um, you can always tell a bad spoken word poetry by just like they've written uh, a paragraph in prose and they've just performed it in the same set of beats and you're like this is not good um <laughs> nick are you turning away from me in shame <laughs> um but i think that i think that that there is like there this there are the same i think the same issues come up in both forms of work um and in both have their have equal amounts of kind of liberation that appear in those there's a lot of creativity in both but there's a lot of stifling that can happen as well so mm. i think that sometimes it feels like oh well when you can perform it you can express things more but at the same time there are, there are higher expectations for the way you perform and what counts as a good performance that people writers still get trapped in sort of their own work so i think it, i think it is sort of like there are there are checks and balances on it Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, something Hannah just said really resonated with me in the sense that, like, you can feel like, l like, use the word liberation um, around, like, a certain style or whatever. And I feel like I've felt liberated by page poetry, but I've also felt liberated by spoken word. And I think that, like... I think that to a certain extent, maybe sometimes it's just about what the poem is about and about how you're feeling about it. And sometimes it's a poem that you want to get in front of a crowd and scream about. And sometimes it's a poem that you don't feel like screaming about or you want to scream about in a different... You want to let the words scream on their own accord <laughs> in a certain right. way. Um, okay. Yeah, and I think it just context matters. Great. Okay. We have another poet. All right. Um, okay, Alicia. Yeah, I'm Alicia Rubisha. I'm uh, the editor of Bird Buried Press, a board member for EC3, and a number of other things. <laughs> number of other hats. <laughs> um, and so I'm going to read some poems from the collection I've been working on that was inspired by Roberta Bonder. Um, who, if you don't know, is an astronaut or was an astronaut, um, and also a photographer and a neurologist. And while well, I kind of touch on all those things in this first poem that kind of sets up the book. Um, and I'm going to read, all my poems are very short, so I'm going to read five of them. Model Rocket. The astronaut shows photographs of her mother Mildred and her sister Barbara and the desk in her childhood bedroom. 
If they'd had rockets back then with explosives, then I would have had them. The world's first neurologist in space studied autonomic nervous system function. Breathing, heartbeat, and digestion are supposed to be unconsciously directed, but I am always forgetting breath in space. With a room full of people, I hear Canada's first woman in space do her best. There is no try. In her large format landscape photography, it is possible to zoom in on the black spots in the salt flats until they are buffalo. Mm. This one's kind of meta. It's sort of about the book. Uh, the Final Frontier. Recently, I met a nice older man and told him about my book. He told me Ken Money should have flown, but Roberta was a woman. I mentioned that she was also the world's first neurologist in space and asked if Ken Money studied autonomic function. The nice older man didn't know, but remained convinced. <laughs> True story. <laughs> Um, so the other thing that my book kind of does is bring together the rural landscape that I grew up in and kind of compare and contrast it to outer space. Um, so this one kind of bridges those two things. The mechanics of sleep. Asleep, afloat, every exhale lingers to the point of suffocation. A night's rest requiring fans like an Ontario summer. Mm. And then is that it? Oh. Got one more in, or two more in here. Oh, this is a black hole poem, which I wrote before the black hole photo. Um, <laughs> uh, long before. It's actually published in my chat book, dear. So, oh, yes. <laughs> so that one, I think, is set on the public record. Um, and it's called Mosquito. Exhausted of fuel, the star collapses under its own gravity. Black hole disappears light, eats worlds, sucks. Oh. And then this is the last one. Shadow. Cassia had Calico and, the, and Jody, the neighbor, had Jade. But together they went in on a pony and named it Shadow. Shadow was wild. From stakes and rope, my sister and the neighbor built a pen bordered by the house, crabapple trees, dark pine forest, and swamp to break the horse. The horse broke the pen. <laughs> <good>. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. All right. Now... I'm curious in the in the writing you do, uh, how do you? Why, well, let me start the question another way. Why is it that so many young people in school, let's say in senior elementary and high school, poetry just passes right over them? It's just like tax returns. Like the less <laughs> thing, the less they know, the better. How do you, and obviously all of you have been touched and turned on by poetry. How do you get, how do you turn that corner and make You stop reading the poetry they give you in school. <laughs> ah, okay, say some <laughs> and more. And start reading something else. Something new even, dare I say? Something yeah, contemporary? Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, I teach Blake to little kids oh, before I love they Blake. can read, right? That's fair, I yes. love Blake. So, yeah, so I think teach, uh, showing, exposing kids to serious poetry, not joke poetry. Yeah. It, yeah. You know, children are very serious, play is serious. Right. And I'll give, I'll give a young kid William Blake before I'll give them Dennis Lee. <laughs> wow. Well, 
I was just going to say also, I think it's important to give students context surrounding the writer's life. Like usually we we read, you know, William Carlos Williams, you read The Red Wheelbarrow and that's it. That's arguably the worst poem he has. Mm -hmm. Um, So the way poems are chosen is also very interesting. I don't know who does the choosing, um, but don't give your students anthologies. (laughs) Don't give your students anthologies. (laughs) Interesting. Okay. All right. We have another poet. Uh, all right. My name is Melissa Johnston, um, also known as Deputy Johnston. Um, <laughs> and uh, I am very new to poetry, um, not to reading poetry, but to writing it, uh, or at least taking it seriously, uh, similar to what Hannah said. I've been writing what I consider terrible poetry for many years, but um, <laughs> never bothered to try and actually figure out how to make it better. Uh, so I don't think I'm there yet. Uh, I'm still working on it, and I still have a lot to learn. I feel like a bit of a sponge. Um, but I was very happy to do my first reading at the Show and Tell Poetry Series uh, earlier this month. Uh, thank you, Justin, for that opportunity. And, uh, and so... Anyone who was there may recognize this first poem. It is called Muppet Trip. I've forgiven you for that time you gave me too much acid, promising a spiritual breakthrough, or at least a cure for my greatest fears. After a fit of floor-rolling hysterics and unstoppable tears for the enormity of the world's collective pain, watching your face sparkle with the world's collective beauty... I ended up puking cartoon demons, which, incidentally, is one of my greatest fears, and lying shipwrecked on the bed with the screeching orange blanket, roiling, seasick, and terrified. You, meanwhile, transformed into a hovering giant, fur-covered and fanged, a childhood terror only funny in retrospect. For hours, all I could smell was rotting mouse carcass and ancient dog fur, and you kept trying to get me to eat. But the bowl of oatmeal was every dead thing, every necrotic piece of flesh, and the festering embodiment of illness. Your insistence became sinister. Your impatience became cruelty. I've forgiven you, though, because the next morning your cruelty was inward-facing and feral. I've forgiven you because you walked three times into the river and it was January and you said one more time until you were crying and red and rigid from shivering, defanged and mangy. Yes, I've forgiven you because your remorse is a howling gale. Hmm. (sighs) Okay. Um, So this next one is about Christopher Knight, who some people may have heard of. He's the guy who walked into the woods uh, in Maine and didn't emerge for 27 years and in that time had contact with almost no one. I think he may have spoken to one person. Um, And the reason I wrote this poem is because I fantasize about that lifestyle sometimes. Uh, It is called A Knight's Errand. The question has an answer. It can be done. A choice can be made in the drop of a key and the cynical disregard of the endgame. Sleeping early to wake up in darkness, sluggish and barely alive, shivering friction and static into the freezing core. The choice of suffering and silence over head-fucking fullness of time passage and input, asking only for the means to witness growth and decay, the patterns of slow-motion slow motion mortality. And yet to put faith in permanent departure, 
ghostly, untouchable, is irredeemably naive and punishable by seven months of suffering and silence. After 27 years of escape, this prison of visibility mocks your desires, stillness and space forever out of reach. Hmm. Um, and I'm going to read a rhyming poem. Um, I feel oh a little, God. I know it's, it's like breaking weird rules in the world of poetry, but That's I'm doing it anyway. No, no, no. <laughs> Mark ruined it for <laughs> So buckle up here. Here here goes. Uh, This one is called Occasional Optimist. Driven to industry, anthill and weave, black blankets shut out the light. Spreading and reaching and blindness to boundaries, fusing the day with the night. We speak, we bend, we button our coats, ergo we are divine. But crumbling keystones drift and decay unsettle the slumbering mind. Meantime, we pull from the gravel and pavement, blossom, berry, and frond. With time left to conjure some semblance of balance, we'll pull from these scrapers a dawn. That's it. Thank you. Now, (laughs) you say you're in the... You've been writing poetry... Poorly for years. <laughs> yes. Would you unbundle <laughs> that so. a bit? <laughs> I think I started in high school and it was, you know, the typical angsty, um, either angsty, heartbroken poetry or uh, observations of nature that had been said many, many times by much better poets before me. Uh, and so I never bothered to really share much. Okay. Do you find the process of reading in a, to one other poet, to a hundred other poets, that generates a dialogue that's useful and learnful, if that's a word. You know Absolutely. I mean? Yes, actually, I, uh, you know, my first moment of bravery was sending a bunch of poems to Justin for feedback, and the feedback I received was excellent um, and s- incredibly supportive and very, very um, helpful in terms of figuring out where I could improve and, and what needed attention. And so since, since that, I've uh, changed so much about the way I approach revision, uh, because I have a backlog, a, quite a ridiculous backlog of of poems that need work, and I just didn't know how to approach revising. Mm. And so that was that was the sort of um, key to opening that process mm. was sending it to another, you know, to having the courage to to get the feedback that it needed. Fascinating. So I wonder how that loops into uh, what we were talking about just a moment ago about um, uh, turning students onto poetry. Mm. How making, well, not making them, but showing them, uh, opening the door to the fact that it can be a not collaborative process, but mm. a, a shared learning experience as opposed to you know, the whole stereotype up in the attic, drinking mm-hmm. gin mm-hmm. Like, by candlelight, <laughs> going neurotic and suicidal, you know. <laughs> well, that's a good point. The I think the, the important step is to um, realize that you can't take this so seriously that you you aren't open to that feedback and to that, um, to other people's opinion. Uh, because, you know, as as you can tell, writing poetry can be very... Um, vulnerable and it's a lot of exposure 
Right. And so that can be difficult to share with people and, and to hear criticism of that. And so I think really for me, at least it was about trying to take that less seriously. You know, once the, the poem is written, um, knowing that it it can be improved upon and, and the only way to do that is to, is to, you know, let others hear it. Justin. I just wanted to say quickly again, going from my comment about don't give your students anthologies. Um, don't also, if you can, as an educator, do not present poems as riddles. They are not riddles. There is no secret uh, that you need to discover in the poem. Uh, ideally, everyone's reading it differently. And ideally, I'd be more annoyed with a student who, you know, got the right answer according to the book. Please, um, Mr. Million, please, sir, what does it mean? <laughs> right, exactly. Well, and it means exactly this. The wheelbarrow represents everything, uh, which is unhelpful. It, it, it doesn't help anybody's understanding. It doesn't help the nuance of poetry at all. It, it just makes you want to copy the old masters, as it were. And that's not what you should be doing. I mean, you do have to work through your influences, I think. But that doesn't mean, um, again, you know, figuring them out. Um, you're, you're supposed to be figuring yourself out through them, not the other way around. Interesting. Shannon, do you have something? To- uh, I have some poems to read and a couple remarks. I'll try sure. to do them in good order. One is I'd like, I um, would like to point out that so far, everyone, including me, have we've referenced uh, male poets as if the canon were entirely male. Um, I do it. Everybody does it. It's not a personal failing. It says a lot about uh, how uh, how and what poems are taught. Um, I'd also like to point out in this little room, out of seven poets, five are women. So there's a lot of yes. women writing poetry. And then when it comes time to publication and winning prizes and being raised up, you know, there's that glass ceiling again. Um, uh, I write about uh, that a lot. I write about sex and gender a lot. And I write about um, the, the place of the poet in that. So I want to say something about gender. I also want to say that I'm a page poet. Like, you know, I work on the line breaks and getting soul to like, I never would have guessed it was SOL when you said it. <laughs> you know, I had the other two, but not that one. That's great. Um, if I start to interrupt, but you're also a prose writer. Yeah, 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 I am. And I will say something about that too, but the, uh, the page poetry versus the stage poetry. So I'm a page poet and I'm a ham and a stage hog, you know, like I, <laughs> I really love to read aloud and I, and I like to perform. And so as far as prose and poetry, um, I'm currently engaged in a, in writing a series of long poems. I'm not going to read those today. Um, from a collection called Trauma Kit. It's going to come out from Birdbraid Press in the early summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're really long narrative poems with many characters. The landscape is a character. There's characters that show up repeatedly in the, in the poems. And I realized it's because I am too lazy to write a novel. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to do it. You know, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to do it in poetry. The every word does the work of ten, right. and that kind of uh, condensed language leads to things that look like poems or like jokes. Lots of my jokes you'll only get if you've read the same books that I've read. But when I sit down to write this this first poem, the baseball fairy, I I you know I I poke a little fun at T. S. Eliot and Joseph Campbell at the same time. 
assuming that you've read those things also by men and men, um, and maybe you haven't. There's also some, is it Luce Uruguay who uh, uses the term jouissant for body joy? Is that Luce? So. Yeah. Um, so that's it. So this is, this. I didn't think I had a suite, but I actually have like 22 poems so far, maybe 26, about fairies, because you know how important <laughs> fairies are. <laughs> They're terrifying if you know them well, right? So um, I'm going to start with a poem called The Baseball Fairy. I'm not going to apologize for the density of it, but I, I do notice that men get to write about baseball and get lots of attention. <laughs> the Baseball Fairy. Three wishes, three trials, a foe on the hill, a jewel, a journey, and home – the reward for a thousand heroes, single-faced, singing, Oh, that Campbellian rag. Write baseball poetry while the sun shines. Wishing boys are boys forever. Boys of summer are boys forever. The baseball fairy garlands them in strikes and steroids. She lifts them, she lifts the servant from the cinders. She is the triple goddess times three. She hates clocks, and so I love her. All heroes are sacred to her. They don't know it, but I do. What's new? I don't want to spoil the game for you. I spent the final seven innings in left field, my body like a boy's body still, thinking the M in MLB stood for men's, that world meant world. Words will be birds. They punch star-shaped holes in the diamond air. I caught a near-line drive foiled, fouled out of mortal reach, breaching in jouissant geometry. Torso-twisting trajectory changes made mid-motion, mid-air. My blind left hand revealing coordinates. The ball homed to my glove. I homed the ball. Double play, the inevitability of all. Above all, I don't want to spoil the game for you. Polyhymnia is the ninth of the muses of sacred hymns and geometry. Hera, at home, watches the Olympic World Series of zoophilic rapes. Zeus, her double-playing husband, shifts shapes. Bull, swan, eagle, snake, Europa, Leda, Ganymede, etc., for this, the Queen of Heaven gets a seven-game suspension for calling him out. Gets called jealous, not protectress. All champions are her heroes, vis Her Hercules, Heracles, Hera's heroes. Get it? They don't know or likewise don't care. I don't want to spoil the game for you. What is the cost of a medical clinic, a school, shoes, clean water? Less than the cost of a major league contract. Millionaires will be multimillionaires. Here, little girl, for you, girlfriend, mother, wife, sister, fan. I would pitch the first two innings without fail, without a hit, game after game, toe to the threshold, then sent to the outfield to rest on my feet, shortcutting the journey to no place to wait for the star-making foul, a girl's body like a boy's body, until... <sighs> So that's a baseball fairy. Right. <laughs> oh. Wonderful. It's, uh, it's very hard coming after everybody, you know, being the last poet. It makes me feel really self-conscious because there's like a, there's a critical mass of poetry in there. <laughs> this is called the Dementia Fairy. 
Hail hunchback, full of bent scoliosis is with thee. Your punchinella hump causes the strap of your shoulder bag to slip. Your purse slides right off, and so you must carry the key to room 315 on a ribbon around your neck. Your purse, one of dozens, dozens in different styles, seasons, colors, for different outfits, to carry all the things I once loved to find therein. Hand lotion, a rosary, bobby pins, gum, and all the things I came to dread. Tears, insults, self-pity, guilt, guilt, and shame without measure. Formerly Mama, Queen of my heart's heaven, you weep freely when I phone you now, daily or thrice that. The food, the staff, the other residents who are old, old, old. How could you do this to me? You cry, crying. Why did you put me here? I didn't. It's no accident I live thousands of miles away. More than my heart could hold, I loved you. At three or four, I sang for you as you sewed. I have not known that flawless love or safety since. I can feel it sometimes still. I'm sorry. Little hunchback, I pluck the hairs from your lip and chin and walk you to the dining room. You won't go in. I hug you and tell you it doesn't matter that it takes getting used to the old drag of my heartbeat asking, am I? Am I? Mm. We go up to 315. I rinse out your underwear, help you into a nightgown, put you to bed on the sofa. The only place you will agree to sleep. Not the bed. I hate the bed. Why? Too much sorrow. Too much to ask. Curled on the tiny love seat, no bigger than a fairy child. My changeling mother, what have they done with you? It's a cliche now to say that Alzheimer's takes your loved one away long before death arrives to stay. But I left you and hated you for the intervening decades between my childhood and today. All your hearts I broke. I was not dainty. I drank, swore, Smoked cigarettes. I cursed the church, lived in sin, bore babies out of wedlock, dressed like a hired hand, stopped shaving my legs for a while, smelled bad, and did things. I visited regularly to your horror and my chagrin. Ah, my bastard children. Have I told you? By miracle, they don't despise me. That's lovely. That's great. So here's a short poem just to show the short poets that I can do this. And, um, I, this poem I see as the the last poem in the collection of the fairy poems. It's called The No Shit Fairy. No Shit When you are not where you want to be in your life, the No Shit Fairy says, welcome to the human race. <laughs> Lovely. Well, thank you so much. Um you know, I was, uh, I'm looking at the clock. I, I, I'm wishing this was just the beginning and we mm-hmm. could just like, go on. But uh, thank you for sharing all these. So uh, that was Justin, Alicia, Hannah, Mayanna, Nick, uh, Melissa, and lastly, Jeanette. Do we have time to promo something? We have time to promo something. Yes, yes. Thank you, Bill. Um, so again, 388 George Street, right on the street. Please come down and see us. It's 10 to 4 almost every day. Well, no, every day, uh, except for Saturday, Sunday, where we kind of just announce the hours. Um, but it's a creative writing space. Please come down, bring your own coffee. 
Try not to treat it as a cafeteria. Uh, eat and then come. Uh, but if you need to eat, then please do that. Um, so that's that. Uh, Show and Tell Poetry Series has an event on the 16th at 5 o'clock. Uh, is our Art for Introverts event from 5 to 7, featuring Melissa Johnst- Deputy Melissa Johnston, myself, and Wes Grist, uh, also known as Elias, will be there. That's uh, at the Garnet? That's at the Garnet, yes. 5 to 7, and then from 7 to 8 uh, in... Qu- in uh, What's the word I'm looking for? With uh, in cooperation, collaboration with Birdberry Press, um, the inimitable Birdberry Press, uh, we will be launching Catherine High's chapbook PTBONSA. Um, the book is already available on the Birdberry Press website, but this is our official launch of the book. Uh, she'll be reading with Logan High, her brother, which is adorable, and Andrew Iamaki will be reading as well. Uh, so please come and join us for that. That's seven to eight, and again, that's on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, from five to eight. We've taken over the garnet. Please come and see us. Sure. Great. Now, um, for people who want to keep up with the, I mean, can I use the expression, the Peterborough poetry scene, uh, without getting hisses and boos? Anyway, if people yeah. want to keep yeah, yeah, up, yeah, yeah. I can use that? You bet. W- what are the online sources? Is there a Facebook page? You've mentioned... Facebook is, I would say, the best way to do it. Show and Tell Poetry Series has a Facebook page, so it is right on the street. So does Birdberry Press. And so that's, I, I would say that's where our kind of major announcements would go. Um, Show and Tell Poetry Series has a sometimes used Instagram page, uh, as does Right on the Street. It's because I'm responsible for both. That's why they tend to get under, uh, programmed. Um, but, uh, Show and Tell Poetry Series also has a website, Show and Tell Poetry Series dot WordPress dot com, I think. And Birdberry Press is Birdberry Press. Dot wordpress.com and that's bird as in bird strawberry like bird buried bird buried as, as in a buried, buried bird in the ground and that's a true story uh, that's okay. where the name came from uh, yeah so but I would say look at look us up on Facebook first if you're interested in right on the street just come by it's 388 George come and see us um, but we do have a Facebook page our loyal uh, resident photographer who's not here Jimmy Boyd Robinson has been very good at keeping up uh, images and whatnot on the site but yeah check it out and 388 will be open Tomorrow, 10 a.m., I'll be there. Uh, so will Jeanette Platana, and so will, so I'm the, assuming, the Maxine and uh, for the rest of the regulars. Year, uh, as long as... Yeah, I wouldn't say it's good for the rest of the year. Um, it's more about the availability of the space. We have it uh, through a really, really generous uh, landlord. Um, but uh, And that will not be in her control for much for much longer. So we're okay. going to stay there as long as we can. And I'd like to say another thing about Right on the Street, which at this point I'm willing to say to everybody in this room, you know, get on, jump on it if if you disagree. But I think if you come to Right on the Street regularly, we can guarantee that through compassion, creativity, and curiosity, you will become a better writer. Yes. Yeah, I'm willing to say that. All right, and on that note, thank you very much, and uh, we are off. Thank you, Bill. Thanks a lot.